Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, good morning. It was the fall of 1998. One of the most riveting dramas that we've ever experienced was playing out virtually right in front of our eyes every day on television. So much so, I was absolutely locked in. I skipped class. I skipped work. Every single time Mark McGuire or Sammy Sosa had an at-bat. <laughs> you see, that fall, McGuire and Sosa were chasing the single-season home run record that had previously been set by Roger Maris. And by the end of the season, they both exceeded, uh, beat that record. McGuire came out on top with 70 home runs. The following spring, the spring of 1999, the Texas Rangers announced that they were going to be hosting Mark McGuire and the St. Louis Cardinals at the old ballpark in Arlington. It's old now. Uh, for an exhibition game. And so I was one of the first ones to get on the phone. That's how you had, used to have to order tickets. You had to call. It, we didn't have the internet thing. So I, would, I got on the phone and ordered tickets because, listen, Mark McGuire had been one of my favorite players since he broke out onto the scene in 1986. And the Texas Rangers had always been my favorite team. And so I was not going to miss this opportunity. I got on the phone and I purchased a ticket to go to that game in March of 1999. And I bought a ticket and left field. If you know anything about the old ballpark in Arlington, all right, this isn't the new bougie ballpark that's air conditioned. This is the old ballpark. Left field is the worst place to sit for an afternoon game because there is no shade for the entire game. All nine innings, you're sitting in the sun. It's miserable. But I bought a ticket for left field because that's where McGuire hits all his home runs. And I showed up. I drove the six hours across the state of Texas, got to the ballpark in Arlington, my glove on my hand, took my seat in left field to catch the inevitable Mark McGuire home run, the elusive, the one thing. Minutes before the game started, they announced that McGuire had been scratched from the lineup. And he wasn't going to be playing that day. You can imagine my disappointment. And I feel like now might be a good time to let you know, Pastor Will is going to be back with us next Sunday. <laughs> He's going to be back. He's going to be completing the, the series reassembly required, so make sure you come back next Sunday. Now, I assure you, Pastor Will did not get scratched from the lineup last minute. This was a scheduled day off. He's been away. He's back in town now, but he's been away for a while with his youngest daughter on an end-of-year uh, school trip, just creating some memories and having that experience with his youngest daughter. It's just incredible uh, to have the opportunity to do that, uh, but we're excited to have him back. My name is Sam. I'm the Adult Ministries Director here, and I'm just... Uh, uh, thrilled to be able to speak with you this morning. And I want to talk about three words that can be the most powerful words that you could ever say. They show up in Scripture quite a bit, so we're going to take a look at that in just a few minutes. But listen, I don't know how this plays out in your home if you have kids, but in my home every once in a while, if I need to get the kids' attention, if I need them to come down for dinner or we're about to leave the house or whatever it is, I'll go to the bottom of the stairs and, and yell up for the kids. And if I get any response at all, it's either, what? Or, yeah. I, I know your kids don't do that at all. Every once in a while, I would love to see their beautiful, shiny faces pop up at the top of the stairs and them say, yes, sir, we're right here. What do you need? 
Wouldn't that be great? Maybe you don't have kids, but you know this frustration because you have called customer service before. (laughs) You know the drill, right? You call and the computer voice on the other end tells you to push this number for that option or this number or whatever it is, and they offer everything except the one thing you need, so you hit zero, and you wait, and you wait, and every once in a while, there's that reassuring voice that comes on the other end of the line that says, your call is very important to us. (laughs) Rest assured. Wouldn't it be nice if just once a human being would answer the phone and say, yes, sir, I'm right here. Yes, ma'am, I'm right here. What can I do for you? Wouldn't that be fantastic? Here I am, these three little words, and we're going to be looking at a passage in Isaiah where these three words show up. One of the places in Scripture, Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was a prophet uh, in the Old Testament. He was considered by many to be the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. A prophet was simply somebody who God used to communicate his message to the world. And so Isaiah is a prophet, um, and we're going to see how this passage starts in chapter 6. This is kind of the beginning of his ministry as a prophet. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, just some historical context. King Uzziah had been the king of Judah for about 52 years. He died in the year 740 B.C. So that's when this is taking place. And he says, I saw the Lord. He's going he's to describe a vision that he had. And we're going to get into that vision in just a few minutes. But I want to jump to the end because he ends this passage like this. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. There's those three words. Here I am. The Hebrew phrase that's used is, is uh, I'm probably going to butcher this in Hebrew, but hinani. Hinani. It's, it's a phrase that really is the combination of two words, here and I. Literally, it would be translated behold or behold I. It's so much more than a, than, a, than a proclamation of your physical proximity. You know when you're in school and the teacher calls your name and you say, here, next year, students, if you're, if you're having students in here, say, behold, next time maybe. See how that goes over. It's, it's more than a proclamation of my physical presence or my physical proximity. It's a bold uh, declaration that says, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm available, and I'm waiting for your direction. Here I am. It's so much more than words. It's a posture. It's a posture of the heart. It's a posture of readiness. If you've been coming to Brazos Fellowship for any length of time, maybe you've heard Pastor Will talk about putting your yes on the table. This is what he's talking about. This is what it means. It's this posture of, yes, I'm ready, I'm listening, I'm willing, and I'm available, and it's so powerful. One of the first places that it shows up in Scripture is in Genesis chapter 22. God calls out to Abraham. Abraham calls him by name. And God's about to test Abraham. He's going to test his faith. Abraham doesn't know that yet. He just hears his name, and his response to God is, Here I am. It's a a stark contrast to what we see earlier in Genesis chapter 3 when God called out to Adam and said, Where are you? Pastor Sean talked about this passage last week. Adam and Eve had just sinned. They had disobeyed God, and God was coming to be with them, to walk with them in the cool of the evening in the garden, to be with them relationally. He calls out to Adam, where are you? And Adam's impulse is to run and to hide. He does not respond, here I am. And so the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is, how can we learn to respond like Abraham and not like Adam? 
we're going to dig into this vision that Isaiah had because I think in it we're going to see a sequence of events that takes place that leads Isaiah to a place where he's ready to respond. And really, I believe he can respond no other way than by saying, here I am. So let's go back to Isaiah chapter 6, beginning back at verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two they covered their, uh, their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Now, I can't explain uh, or understand how Isaiah had this vision, whether it was a dream or a kind of a God-initiated out-of-body experience, but I do know that often in ancient times, God revealed himself through dreams and visions. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there are other uh, very similar visions as the one that Isaiah describes here. But oh my goodness, what an amazing and beautiful thing to be able to see God to be able to have this vision, to be able to see and hear these heavenly beings, the seraphim, flying around declaring who God is, holy, holy, holy. The first thing in this sequence, in this vision leading up to Isaiah being able to say, here I am, is that he has a revelation of who God is. Notice the first thing he sees is the Lord, high and exalted, seated on his throne. He hears these heavenly beings declaring who God is, Holy, holy, holy. He's perfectly holy. And so he gets this glimpse of God's glory. He gets this glimpse of God's holiness. He gets this glimpse of God's beauty. He gets this glimpse of God's majesty and his power and his brilliance. And he sees and understands who God is. He is undeniably and unequivocally perfect and holy and just. And as he sees God on his throne, he knows that God's reign and his rule is holy and perfect and just. And so he understands who God is. And then he gets a glimpse of what God does. Passage goes on and says, the whole earth is full of his glory. So what God does, he fills the entire earth with his glory in this passage. I wonder, what is it that keeps us from being able to see God the way that Isaiah saw God? What is it that keeps us from being able to stand in awe and wonder in the presence of God? What is it that keeps us from experiencing his brilliance and his power and his majesty? Well, here's the thing is, is this, is a, this is a real struggle. This is a real struggle, isn't it? Because when you combine just our everyday life and busyness and frustrations and stresses. He combined that with, with these incomprehensible, unimaginable acts of evil and darkness, the, the, the unexplainable taking of young, innocent lives. When that is what's in the world around us, it's so hard to see the goodness of God, isn't it? We've experienced that. I've felt that. I've experienced this this week. I know you have too. But here's the thing. This should not be a surprise to us. Paul tells us in Ephesians that we have a very real enemy, that our, our struggle, our fight is not against flesh and blood. And he talks about the fact that we have a fight against the devil and the devil has a strategy. And he says, stand firm, be prepared. He says, Put on the full armor of God. This is in Ephesians 6. Go and read that sometime. Be prepared to withstand the strategies 
of the devil. I have to believe one of the strategies of the devil is to create chaos in our world, to keep us from seeing and experiencing the goodness of God. All these things in the world around us, they just diminish and devalue and narrow the way that we're able to see God. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just have a miraculous vision like Isaiah did? Here's the truth, though, is that God has revealed himself to us completely and perfectly through his word, through his creation, and more than anything else, through his son, Jesus Christ. The scripture says, is the visible image of the invisible God. So what can we do? What can you do to experience the presence of God every day? You want to know the character of God, the attributes of God, the heart of God? What is it that you can do? Because I think it's so important. We have a strategy that the devil has against us, trying to keep us from seeing God, from experiencing who God is. We've got to counter that with a strategy of our own to be able to build rhythms into our life every day of experiencing the presence of God. And we all connect with God. We all experience God's presence best in different ways, don't we? So that looks different for us depending on how God created you, how God relates with you, and how you best relate with God. Maybe for you, you connect best with God through times of solitude and prayer. Maybe it's through just times of study and reflection and meditation on his word. Maybe for you, you connect best with God in nature. You see the beauty and the wonder and the awe of God through his creation. Maybe for you it's by connecting with other people or maybe it's serving other people or maybe it's through uh, the arts, through music, through worship. It can be any number of ways. But here's what I want to challenge you to do is however you best connect with God, be very intentional in building rhythms into your life on a daily basis to where you slow down you take your eyes off of the world. That doesn't mean we ignore the realities of the world, but we turn down the volume and spend some time connecting with God to be reminded every day of who God is, of who he is. We, we spend time experiencing his presence, his majesty, his glory, his brilliance, his beauty. It's what Isaiah had the opportunity to do through this vision. And after he had this revelation of who God is, this leads him to discover and recognize the reality of who he is, of his own identity. Let's see what happens in verse 5. Isaiah cries out, woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. His eyes are opened and, and next to the holiness of God, he sees the reality of the, of the, uh, the, the depravity and, and I tried so hard to find a different word this week. I was told by some other people on staff, you've got to find a different word. That's too, but I could not find a word that communicated the depth of corruption and wickedness and darkness and evilness of the sin that lives inside of us. And Isaiah is next to a holy God. He's perfectly holy. And his eyes are opened to the depravity of his own sinfulness. He realizes who he is. And he knows that he is doomed in that minute because sin cannot exist in the presence of God. He understands who he is. In light of who God is, he recognizes his own identity. For a while now, I've been, I've been using and teaching a simple plan that, that I use to approach uh, reading the Bible. And it's just four simple questions as I'm reading through Scripture. The four questions are, who is God? What does God do? Who am I? And what do I do? And those first three questions are always answered in Scripture. 
We can always find the truth of who God is, what God does, and who I am, my own identity, your own identity in light of who God is and what God has done in Scripture. The fourth question, what do I do? This is our response. This is implicit. This is not explicitly stated. We have to respond. We have to choose. We have to decide. And in this vision, Isaiah experiences who God is. He sees what God does, and he has a realization of who he is, and he has a choice now in this vision. He can either retreat or he can repent. He can retreat. He can run. He knows he's doomed. He can run from the presence of God like Adam did. But he would not, never be able to say then, here I am. And instead what we see is we see Isaiah confess and repent. Let's see what it says at the end of verse 5. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He repents, and we see this beautiful picture about to unfold of God's forgiveness and His mercy and His redemption in the next couple of verses. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth, and he said, see. Now, I started to just gloss over this word see, but the more I thought about it, the more I began to realize, you know what, what God was doing in this vision for Isaiah, he was saying, I want you to take notice here. When you realized who you were, I didn't say, no, 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 you're not that bad. He didn't say, no, 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 that's not your identity. Instead, he said, okay, that's, that's who you were. But I want you to see this. I want you to notice this. And I want you to remember this minute because who you were is not who you are anymore. When you take a step towards me, I change your identity. He says, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I love this picture. It's God saying to him, you're never too far gone. That's who you were, but it's not who you are now. Once you take a step towards me, I'm going to change you. You're never too far gone. There's nothing in your life that I can't take and make it right again. And that same mercy and forgiveness, it's available to us. As a matter of fact, I love this. Before God ever asks for our here I am, he's already given his here I am to us. Isaiah writes about this later in Isaiah chapter 65. This is God's words. He's, he's declaring God's message here. I was ready to respond, but no one asked for help. I was ready to be found, but no one was looking for me. I said, here I am. Here I am. God's yes to you is already on the table. He says, I'm right here. I'm available. I'm ready. I see you. I hear you. I know you. I know who you were. I know who I can make you to become. I know your past. I know your presence. I know your future. I know everything you've ever done, everything you ever will do. And here I am. See, God has taken the first step towards us already. And when we see who God is, when we recognize who we are in light of who God is, when we choose to repent and not retreat, when we choose to stay, take a step towards God and not away from God, he can take whatever it is we have to offer. And listen, maybe, maybe all you have to offer is a broken relationship. 
Maybe all you have to offer is a broken heart. Maybe all you have to offer is just brokenness. Maybe there's a struggle that you have that's been a part of your life for so long that you've given up on yourself. But here's the reality is that God can take whatever it is that we have to offer and he can make it right. It's so beautiful. It's so incredible. That's what he did for Isaiah. And that's when Isaiah was ready. Let's take a look at verse 8 now. Then I heard the voice of the Lord. Then, after I had experienced who God was, after I had seen what God does, and after I had realized who I am in the presence of God, in light of who he is, in light of what he does, then I heard the voice. Before he had seen the Lord and he had heard the voices of the seraphim, but at this point he was ready, his heart's ready. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah at this point, after those things had taken place, was ready. And he responds, here I am. Oh, it's a, it's a bold, bold declaration. It's a, it's a declaration of readiness. It's saying to God, I'm available, I'm here, I'm yours. I'm waiting to hear what you have for me next. My yes is on the table. I may be scared, but here's my yes. I may have more questions than I have answers, but I'm ready anyway. I may have some doubts and some confusions, but I'm available. Here is my yes. At this point, one of the, one of the tensions that, that I feel, and maybe you're feeling this too, is, is this, uh, this idea that I'll say yes after I know what I'm going to say yes to. I mean, that makes sense, right? We wouldn't approach anything else in life without having that in mind. We're going to read the fine print or at least ask somebody to explain us what is in the fine print, right? We're not just going to say yes to anything not knowing what it is we're saying yes to. But listen, as you read through Scripture and you see over and over these people in the story of God who said to him, here I am, these were ordinary, normal people. We, we tend to think of guys like Abraham and Moses and David and Isaiah and Jeremiah and others throughout Scripture, these guys who put their yes on the table, who said, here I am. We think of them as kind of these larger-than-life characters with this huge faith that is so unattainable. But the reality is these were regular, normal, ordinary, everyday people with regular, normal jobs and families and kids and neighbors and pets and stresses and bills and all that, they were just willing to say, here I am. And when we look in Scripture and we see these accounts of these people, every one of them said, here I am to God, before he, they even knew what God was going to ask in return. The point is not what the thing is. The point is the posture of your heart. You're not saying, here I am, to a request. <laughs> You're saying, here I am, to the God of the universe. Do you see the difference? If you're a, a follower of Jesus here this morning, I want to speak directly to you for just a minute. There's a, there's a statement that Jesus uh, makes in Luke chapter 9, and he's speaking directly to people who have said, I'm with you. I'm going to follow you. And here's what he says. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must. In other words, this is not optional. This is not negotiable. You 
must. I was at a conference about a month ago and I heard a speaker make a statement that has stuck with me. And the speaker said this, we get to decide whether or not to follow Jesus. We do not get to decide what following Jesus looks like. That's what Jesus is saying here. If you want to be my follower, that's your choice. I'm inviting you to do that. But here's the thing. You must, and he goes on, and he says this, give up your own way. Give up your own way. What does it look like in your day-to-day life to give up your own way? You want to follow Jesus? I know for me, one of the things that looks like is I've got to give up my own opinion about some people around me sometimes. I want to think a certain way about people, but I don't, it's not an option. I don't have that choice. I don't get a vote. I've got to put that to death and say, I'm following you, Jesus. So whatever you think about this person, whatever your opinion, how you feel about them, that's how I'm going to feel about them. I don't get that right most of the time, but that's what that means. You must give up your own way. You must take up your cross daily. This is a, a picture of dying to self. And I love that he puts in that word daily. Daily. I don't know about you, but I don't have the capacity within myself to make this a one and done thing because my tendency is to drift away. My tendency is like Adam to run. So I've got to make up my mind. And as a follower of Jesus, you've got to make up your mind to take up your cross daily. Sometimes it's hourly, sometimes it's minute by minute by minute. And follow me, he says. This is what it means to say, here I am. This is what it means to come before God and say, my yes is on the table. I know I don't have the option here. I know I don't get a vote in this. Here I am. If you're a follower of Jesus, and I've just been just reflecting on this statement for weeks now. I don't get this right most of the time but we don't have an option. Jesus says you must do this. And if you're not a follower of Jesus this morning, what I would say, the greatest here I am that you need to hear right now is Jesus, here I am to you. The words of Jesus in Revelation chapter three. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we'll share a meal together as friends. This is Jesus' yes to you. It's his here I am. It's him saying, I'm ready. I'm available. I'm here. I want to have this relationship with you. That's what eating a meal with somebody, that's a a picture of relationship, of intimacy. I want to have this relationship with you. Here I am. I'm standing here. I'm I'm willing to give you everything I am and everything I have. As a matter of fact, I've given my life for you. And, And the beautiful thing about this is he's already laid that on the table. So even if you never choose to trust, even if you never choose to believe, even if you never choose to love him, even if you never choose to follow, that's already on the table. He says, here I am. It's done. I'm standing here at the door and knocking. All you've got to do is open up the door to your life to me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you've never opened up your life to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. But really, before we go on, 
before we do anything else, if that's you, I would, I would love to just lead you in a, in a simple prayer. And There's nothing magical about a prayer. It's just communicating with God. That's what prayer is. And God is relational. He wants us to communicate with him. He knows our thoughts. He knows our heart. But when you speak to him, that's saying, I want to have this relationship with you. That's what he wants to have with you. I want to give you that opportunity right now. And so what I would love everybody to do is just close your eyes. Nobody looking around. And you, you're not a follower of Jesus. His here I am is to you right now. I stand at the door and knock. You can open up the door to your life just by simply saying something like this to God. Jesus, I'm opening my life to you today. I may not know fully what that means, but what I do know is that you died for me, for my sins. And so I accept your forgiveness. I want to have a relationship with you. I invite you into my life. And I want you to be my Lord, my leader, my king. I choose to follow you. Here I am. Here I am. If you just prayed that prayer, it's, it's so beautiful. What the, what the Bible makes very, very clear is that you are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. God has made you new because you've chosen to take a step towards God. Whatever sin you walked into this room with, the Bible says it's separated as far as the east is from the west. You're a new creation, and we celebrate that. And as a church, we want to walk beside you as we learn together what it looks like, what it means to follow Jesus, even on days when it's so, so difficult. I would love to pray for you. If that's you, if you just opened up your life to Jesus for the very first time, would you just boldly raise your hand and say, that's me. I opened up my life to Jesus. I'm a new creation today. The old has gone. The new has come. God, thank you for your here I am. Thank you for changing lives, for changing hearts, for your promise that you give to us, that you will make us something new, that there's nothing we can't bring to you that you can't make right. Thank you for making hearts and lives right today. Well, most Sundays we have a, a prayer of application at the end of the service. And this morning we're going to do something a little bit different. Our prayer of application, our prayer of commitment is going to be a song. I've asked the band to come back out. And maybe you're familiar with this song. In just a minute, we're going to sing this together. And, and my hope for you, my prayer for you is that this is more than words on a screen. It's more than words that we sing or say or think or read. But that this truly becomes your prayer, the posture of your heart. The song is called Available. And there's a line in the song, here I am, here I am. You can have it all. What little I have, God, you can have it. I may, not have, I may not have much, God. I may not have much trust, but you can have it all. I may not have much belief right now, but you can have it all. I may not have much hope, but what hope I have, I give to you, and I want you to, to have that and make what, of it what you want. I may not have much influence, much confidence, but you can have it all. Would you make that your prayer of commitment today? Let's stand together, and the band's going to lead us. Oh,
we would love to make the song available for you. If, if you feel like this would be helpful for you this week, just to play this song in the morning as you're on your way to work, as you're on your way to school, as you're getting ready, as you're at the gym, whatever you're doing, make this your prayer, make this your commitment. Because remember, it's a take up your cross daily. It's a daily commitment. We'd love to send you a link to be able to stream this song. You can get that by texting BF Series to 97000, and we'll send you a link this afternoon. Let's pray. God, before anything else, I just want to once again acknowledge your goodness. God, help me, help all of us to build in rhythms into our life, to pause, to slow down, and to experience who you are, to be able to see you and know you for who you are despite what's going on in the world around us. Thank you, God, that you have already offered your yes, your here I am to us. And the best we know how, I pray that we would all be able to commit to say, here I am back to you, that you can have it all. And the hardest word there is all. We all have things we want to hold back. We want to keep for ourselves. Help us to learn to say like Abraham, here I am. I'm ready. I'm available. I'm willing. Here's my yes. Everything I have, everything I am, I'm saying yes to you, God. It's so incredibly difficult, but it's the only way to experience the life you have for us that you want for us. So go with us this week. As followers of Jesus, help us to know we don't have an option. Help us to make this our prayer, our commitment every day. The posture of our heart. Thank you for this time together. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you next week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.